This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. One of the important areas for Donald Trump in winning this election were the rural areas of the country, which delivered many more counties to the Republican side than were expected. And those people were the ones that may have been disenfranchised with the rate of pay and the loss of the middle class over the last uh, decade or so. And they became the emphasis of what Donald Trump says he needs to focus on when he takes office. There are a variety of issues to look at when you're thinking about the middle class and the pay gap. And we're joined by Amy Castro-Baker, who's an assistant professor at the School of Social Practice and Policy here at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Amy, welcome. Thank you very much for coming in. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I, I, I have to ask, it, it, was your reaction the same as Bridget's out in Boulder, Colorado <laughs> today? Uh, absolutely, without question. Uh, stunned is is the word that I would use. Um, you know, as a faculty member, I wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm having two simultaneous reactions, I'll say. You know, one, as a social scientist, I'm, of course, fascinated by the numbers, fascinated by the trends, fascinated by um, what we expected to see numerically and what did not occur yeah. um, in the middle of the night last night. Um, but then as as a professor, as someone who's mentoring and advising students, um, I, you know, I wear a different hat. So when I arrived on campus this morning, for instance, um, there were students who were here um, visibly upset. Um, my yeah. immigrant students wondering, um, what does this mean for my family? Um, one person asked, asked me rather pointedly, um, does this mean my family will be deported? Um, and so I think there's, there's sort of two sides to it. You know, on one hand, I can look at the numbers and say, oh, Okay, <laughs> from a social science perspective, this is fascinating. You know, and then yeah. on the other hand, um, there's some real human implications um, behind some of the dialogue that's taken place over the last year. Um, and I'm, I'm fascinated on both sides. Well, on both sides. Let, let's start with the numbers, because mm -hmm. if you were watching TV last night, mm -hmm. and if you've been watching TV in the run-up, especially over the last, let's say, month, mm -hmm. the numbers, these polling numbers, have been consistently... Hillary Clinton ahead anywhere from two points to six points. Yep. And they couldn't have been more wrong when, I mean, <laughs> and now the interesting thing yeah. is the, the overall tally of votes, mm -hmm. not the electoral college, but the overall votes seemingly is going to end up in favor of Hillary Clinton. Absolutely. But the electoral vote ends up in the favor of Donald Trump. So the polling in this obviously missed something along the way. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a pollster, so yeah. it, it's sort of, you know, stepping out of my area of expertise to, to conjecture. However, um, you know, my understanding of that, um, I think some of some of where that's coming from is the fact that we have so many new voters. Um, and yeah. and the other question I really have is, you know, going back to um, conservatives who have been saying they're going to vote for Johnson or saying they're going to vote for Stein. Yeah. Uh, and the numbers just weren't there this morning, which which tells me, you know, one of two things. You know, either A, they were planning on voting for Trump all along and just didn't want to be public about it. Right. Uh, or B, they changed their, their mind at the last moment. But either way, there's something about um, the narrative of the election that I think probably made folks unwilling to be really public about who they intended to vote for. That's that's sort of my best guess. You know, in terms of the data, uh, I'm not surprised as somebody who studies the working class 
uh, they've been absolutely um, eroded in terms of wealth and pay, and they have not recovered yet from the Great Recession, the housing crisis. The numbers, you know, pretty clear on that. And, and those were the people that, and we mentioned this mm-hmm. earlier in the show. There were really two core areas mm-hmm. that that you had to focus on to see the path to the election for Donald Trump last mm-hmm. night. It was the Appalachian Trail area. Western Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, that Mm -hmm. area, which obviously Mm -hmm. he did very well in. And then the Rust Belt area, Pennsylvania, which has been Democratic, it seems like, forever since since I've been born. uh, That went Republican. Ohio, not Mm -hmm. as much a surprise. But Michigan and Wisconsin, those areas ended up being, and those are all people that were maybe 15, 20 years ago, they were the middle class, and obviously they were affected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way that I talk about it in my research is, you know, we we have clearly had a market recovery since 2008. That's sure. clear. However, we have not had a human recovery. And the neighborhoods, the communities, uh, the rural areas um, have not recovered. And even when we, I I study specifically housing, but even when we look at the housing bounce back, so we're seeing, you know, housing sales rising, you know, we're seeing movement in that market. However, it's not in those places and spaces. So we're talking about people who have worked hard their entire lives, feel as though they've played by the rules and they're losing. So, I I mean, in my work, what I'm seeing is an extreme asset depletion, just as folks are are hitting uh, older adulthood. So they've expected to sort of... um, hit that empty nest stage in life right. and and have something to fall back on. And instead, they're, they're fighting the recovery on two fronts. One, in terms of the loss of their home equity, uh, and two, in yeah. terms of the loss of jobs. So they're, they're sort of trapped on, on both sides. And I think that there's something about Trump that speaks to that. Well, and then you also have uh, that, that group of, of millennials that have graduated college within the last mm-hmm. few years. That have, you know, are either A, still living at home with their parents, mm-hmm. or B, they're renting because they don't want to own a property right now. So that's kind of <laughs> exactly, that, that's yeah. kind of a dynamic yeah. in the whole housing sector right now, mm-hmm. which I think the the building companies that, that make uh, properties and, and a lot of the people that are around the housing sector mm-hmm. are still trying to figure out right now. Yeah. Oh, you're could not be more correct about that, (laughs) you know, is that we have kind of this gap in the market in terms of housing. I mean, right now in the United States, 55% of Americans are spending more than half of their income on rent, mortgage, or utility and utilities that, you know, that combination thereof. Uh, And and that's astounding. I mean, the rule of thumb in real estate is what 30%, you know, you shouldn't be spending more than 30%. And it's not as though people's eyes are bigger than their wallets. That's not really what we're seeing in the data. What we're seeing in the data is that there's a lack of affordable housing. So that housing is sort of sucking up all those extra resources that in the past would have gone towards savings, would have gone towards asset accumulation, would have gone towards building wealth that will protect people, you know, as they're aging. I mean, as a, you know, as someone who does specifically studies um, underserved populations, I think the thing I'm most concerned about, you know, as difficult as it is for you know, people who are losing assets. What I'm really worried about are the the low income people who have always been on the bottom, right? Sure. Yeah. So we're talking a lot about the middle class. We're talking a lot about the working class, and and that's important. That's crucial. Um, it's clearly played a role in the election. Um, you know, however, you know, we also have to ask the question: What about the folks who have always been on the bottom, right? So, sure. you know, for instance, um, and, and, oh, a, and a lot of and a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. And we're joined by Amy Castro Baker, who's uh, with the School of Social Practice and Policy mm-hmm. here at the University of Pennsylvania. A lot of those people, I think, were ones that 
the Democratic Party expected to come out and vote yesterday and did not come out and yep. vote in places here in Philadelphia, in inner city Detroit, in Cleveland. Milwaukee was a city mm-hmm. that, that they talked about as, as being one of those towns that, that you didn't see it. And those are the people that I think really fall into that category that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I absolutely think you're right about that. I mean, when we look at the the language that surrounded the election the past year, we've heard a lot about jobs. We've heard a lot about, um, you know, issues of immigration, issues of employment, but we haven't been talking about the people on the bottom. Yeah. Uh, and that's really a problem. So, for instance, in my research, I have, you know, new work that's coming out that shows older African-American women have lost 97 percent of their wealth from the beginning of the of the housing crisis until hmm. 2012. 97%. And we're not talking about that. You're starting over that. again. Exactly. So what motivation do they have to get to the polls when we're not talking about uh, the extreme issues of poverty that people are are, are living with and dealing with? And not even just on a practical matter when you're matter when you're working multiple jobs and and juggling, you know, multiple things their concerns, I think, have not been brought to the forefront. And, you know, my guess is, again, that's a guess, and I can't say that empirically, but my guess is that's a disincentive to get to the polls. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to join in the conversation. We're joined by Amy Castro, uh, Amy Baker Castro, uh, 844-942-7866. We're talking about the middle class, the loss of uh, of money at the middle class, but also at the uh, lower end of the spectrum as well, 844 844-942- 942-7866 is the number to give us a call right now. Uh, it is interesting when you think about where we are with the, with the people that live in the inner cities right now, and especially the people that are really struggling. You're right about one thing, that we have seen a little bit of a bounce back. If you look at the you know the mm-hmm. monthly numbers from the Labor Department, when the jobs numbers comes out yep. come out, you've seen a little bit of a bounce back. But where we were 10 years ago... It, I mean, we're still fighting an uphill battle because we're at about the same level pay, mm-hmm. but the cost of everything exactly. has skyrocketed. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So pay has stagnated, stagnated, while at the same time the cost of living is going up. Yeah. And sort of the other piece that's underpinning that, we talk a lot about, about wage gaps and pay gaps, but it's really more about a wealth gap, right? So, yeah. so we're talking about um, communities of people, both in those rural areas that came out strong for Trump and also in the city where, um, you know, historically folks have voted for the Democratic Party. Um, what we're seeing are... Um, a real erosion of assets and wealth. Um, and people just don't have things to protect them in the economy anymore. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. So then one of the ballot initiatives that was uh, bounced around in a few states uh, involved uh, a minimum wage mm-hmm. and the increase of the minimum wage. Uh, a couple of states uh, bumped their minimum wage up to like, I think, $12 or $13 mm-hmm. an hour. What do you think those moves end up having in terms of a level of effect if they have enough at all probably not enough uh hmm i mean it's it's difficult to say because we don't have enough data moving forward yet to know you know how much of a bump that's going to give people you know i think it helps you know it absolutely helps when people have more money in their paycheck but again going back to that housing piece when people are spending um you know around half of their income on on housing just just to provide you know a place to live there's not much left for anything else even at twelve dollars an hour is this almost going to end up being a lost generation because of the people that had that wealth 
that were in their 40s and 50s and when the recession hit. And they obviously lost a lot during Mm -hmm. the recession. And they've had to stay working longer because of this. Are we going to see almost a little bit of a lost generation there that we're not going to see this really bounce back until the millennials get to be in their 40s and 50s? And and I know that's hard to, to, to surmise, but yeah. but it's it's almost a question I think we almost have to ask at this point. No, I <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah. You know, the optimist in me says I hope not. Um, but at the same time... Uh, it, it doesn't appear that that's going to be the case, <laughs> you yeah. know, in terms of that they're that they're not going to be a lost generation. I think in a way they probably are going to be. Um, and to me as a researcher, part of what I look at is not just the individual balance sheet, but who's relying on that balance sheet. Right. Right. So if we're talking about, um, you know, you know, a single woman or, you know, even a single man who is relying on that income. Right. So who are they caring for? Are they caring for aging parents? Do they have kids, you know, leaving college? Do they have yeah. nieces and nephews that they're responsible for? And so when there's just sort of um, less there for them to sort of um, buffer against against market risk, we don't really know how we're going to pay for it. One of the things that I've seen, uh, you know, in my work and others have seen as well is that because folks are working in sectors of the economy that are really hard on the body, um, they're being diagnosed with diseases much earlier than they would be um, oh. otherwise. So what we're seeing is they're essentially becoming disabled earlier in life, um, but mm. before they're eligible for things like Medicare. And when we look at the numbers of who came out strong for Trump, um, I'm going to look again later on today to see you know how this bears out empirically, but I'm seeing things line up there as well in terms of... Um, you know, whether or not people are aging and whether or not they have access to medical care and supports that they need. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. You're more than welcome to join in. We're talking with uh, Amy Baker Castro of the University of Pennsylvania, the School of Social Poli- Practice and Policy. We're talking about the middle class, housing, the uh, the the blue collar right now. 844-942-7866. Let's go to Fullerton, California. Thomas joins us on the show. Thomas, go ahead. How are you doing, Dan? Uh, I wanted to say that you guys really talked about an issue that makes perfect sense to me right now about the troubles that we're having. I know you said that uh, I'm 32, and uh, a lot of us here are saying don't want to own houses. I know I'm at the top of the end for the millennials, I guess. Right. Uh, but uh, Dr. Baker was saying that, Professor Baker, excuse me, was saying that housing has gone up quite a bit, and that's exactly what we were experiencing uh, a year and a half ago, our rent was fifteen fifty for a one-bedroom uh, wow. in the suburbs for 630 square feet. And that comes with <laughs> oh one parking yeah. That's one a, that's a shoebox, Tom. Yeah. Yes, it is. it is. And on top of that, it went up to 1760 Wow. That's what, it, that's what it is going now. So we're looking for a new place, and most places are advertising 1800 for under 700 square feet and one parking spot. And and you're uh, you're not a parent yet? No, that we're waiting because of this. Literally cannot save money to get a house. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I mean I mean that's that California is probably a little bit of a, a of a world unto its own, especially with the way that housing prices have have, have soared there, but it does go to an issue that uh, you know Thomas is is a microcosm for a lot of people that 
even renting is a challenge these days. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and one thing I want to add to that is I think, you know, uh, you know, not to in any way belittle how much Thomas is paying for rent. That's awful. Um, but that we're seeing similar dynamics in other parts of the country. There is no state in the United States where someone can afford, um, you know, median rent on the minimum wage. It's not possible. Yeah, yeah. So it, those issues are, are at play everywhere. Um, and then, I mean, in a real way, if he wants to move, where is he going to work? That's really what it comes down sure. to. Sure. Yeah. Thomas, thanks very much for the call. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, let's go to another Tom, this uh, one in Denver, Colorado. Tom, go ahead. Hi, I'm, I'm from the other coast. I left uh, the East Coast and I, I'm stuck with two houses. And then my company moved here to Denver. That's why I'm calling from Denver. I needed to steep, keep working. The one house I had to sell at $100,000 loss. Yeah. The house I couldn't sell so far is upside down, seventy thousand dollars in in the mortgage, and even my renter, I have to charge like two thousand dollars a month just to try to cover my expenses. Taxes are eighty eight hundred dollars on a house where I'm, you know, so I'm spending like six seven hundred dollars a month just in taxes, which means somebody's got to earn eight hundred to pay the six hundred in taxes. It's insane, and that's the whole Northeast corridor. I think that's the biggest people can afford the price of the house at two hundred to two twenty five. But they, when you add in the taxes, it gets to where they can't qualify. And, you know, this is the biggest problem in, like, the Philadelphia, New Jersey area. Oh, yeah. Front. Yeah. Tom, thanks very much for the comment. I, and obviously, there is still, and I've noticed this in, in looking at various websites, housing websites over the last year or so, there are still a lot of properties that are coming on the market that are, that, you know, that were underwater or, you know, that were foreclosed on. Yeah. And, and, and that's a story that I, I, obviously it was a very big one, mm-hmm. go back four or five years. It's almost been a lost story, but it's still an important thing to bring up. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, right now in the United States, um, in 151 zip codes, at least 50% of all mortgages are underwater. You know, and yeah. so what we have is a is a stagnant housing market where people are trapped. So they, you know, they're owing more on their homes than the property is worth, uh, which is is really a problem. You know, and as far as a, you know, the generational aspect of it goes, um, the question to me is, what's going to happen to the tax base, right? So, sure, yeah. so when people cannot afford to buy a home, what we're doing is we're eroding how much money is left over for other things. Yeah. Great to have you on the show, Tom. Thanks very much for uh, giving us a call. Uh, Thank you very much for coming in. I look forward to seeing you again. Thank you very much for coming over. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Amy Castro-Baker from the School of Social Practice and Policy here at the University of Pennsylvania. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.